Great. Well, we've um, been doing this series when I've been speaking over the last um, t- couple of times uh, on Christ, the King of Kings. Um, so we're going to go back to a familiar passage in Philippians chapter 2. And we'll pick it up this time from verse um, 9. Philippians chapter 2 from verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Well, in the last two parts of this series on Christ the King, we've considered Christ the crucified King, And Christ, the resurrected king. Because Jesus is the king of a kingdom. He is the majestic one. He rules and he reigns. And it's God's intention that his rule and his reign should fill the whole earth. Jesus, the king, is the one that makes that rule on earth a possibility. He's the one that takes away our sin And our rebellion. We were enemies of God. But he takes away our sin and our rebellion. He takes away our rejection of God's authority. And makes it possible for us to enter into that rule and reign. To be a part of that kingdom. We can become sons and daughters. Not just subjects of the kingdom. But actually subjects who are sons and daughters. And if you think about that, that makes us part of the royal family. That makes us, yes, subjects. Yes, we bow the knee. We bow down before him in reverence and awe because he is our exalted king. But also he makes us sons and daughters. He makes us co-heirs with himself. By his death and his resurrection, Jesus delivered you. From the power of sin. If you acknowledge him. If you receive him as Lord of your life. He delivers you from darkness. He delivers you from death. He brings you from death to life. Once we were enemies of God. In opposition to his plan and purpose. Unable to live under his authority. But now... Jesus has died. And now Jesus has risen again. The old has gone and the new has come. We've died to our old way of life and we've entered into resurrection life in Jesus. We're able to receive Jesus as our Lord and King. To make him the center of our lives. To embrace his rule and reign. We're able to partner with him now for the transformation of our world. Because when we walk into the room, there is resurrection life in all we do. Because the resurrected king lives inside of us. So Jesus is our crucified king and Jesus is our resurrected king. But this morning I want to tell you that Jesus is also our ascended king. Let's look at Acts chapter 1. 
As always in this series, lots of scriptures for you to look up um, today. So have your Bibles or your phones or your tablets at the ready. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. He appeared to them over 40 days between his resurrection and what's about to happen. I think you might be able to work out what it is. But in that 40-day period, what did he talk to them about? He talked to them about the rule of God. Because this is what he'd come to establish. This is what he'd come to make possible. So he spent that 40 days talking to them about the rule of God on earth. And verse 4, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They wanted to know, is it now? Is it now that the end is going to come and everything is going to be finally completed and and all your enemies will be under your feet? And is is this the glorious moment? And Jesus says, as they gather around him and ask that question, he says to them in verse 7, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven." Jesus, risen from the dead, he's defeated all the power of the enemy. He's taken away our sin and shame. He's destroyed the power of sin and death and we are free to live for him. And now the risen Lord Jesus begins to talk to them about the rule of God being established in the earth. And they say, is it now? Is it now? Is it right now? And he says, you don't need to know the day or the time But you do need to know this, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so he ascends into heaven. We talked quite a bit about baptism in water when we talked about Christ the crucified and Christ the resurrected king. Because when we get baptized into water, we are baptized into Christ's death. 
We associate and identify ourselves in a spiritually significant way with the death of Christ. And it takes effect in our lives. We embrace the cross as the means by which we are enabled to die to our old self. And we enter into his resurrection life. As we come up out of that water, we powerfully identify ourselves with the resurrection life of Christ. And we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. But just as he's about to ascend into heaven, to be seated in glory at the right hand of God, Jesus explains that this moment will also be the trigger for another kind of baptism. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. Look at John chapter 14. He does like baptism in the Holy Spirit. Remember, he's going to alongside. John 14 and verse 10. Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Because Jesus wants his listeners to know that what he is doing in the power of the Holy Spirit serves as evidence that God is in him and he is in God. That they are united, that they are one. That this is not Jesus doing his own thing, trying to serve some distant, far off and remote father in heaven. But this is Jesus in partnership with his father, doing only what he sees the father doing. He says, this is the proof. You see me doing these works, these miracles, these signs, these wonders. These are the evidence that God is with me, God is in me and I am in him. And then he says something incredible. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me, not the super anointed leaders, not the great high priest or the, the apostles that were to come, but whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. The very works that are proving that the Father is in Jesus and that Jesus is in the Father. He says, whoever believes in me will do those works. And as if that wasn't enough. And they will do even greater things than these. Why? Because I am going to the Father. Because I'm going to ascend. Because I'm going to ascend from this earth into heaven, you will do the works that I've been doing. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. Who do we think that is? The Holy Spirit. He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, 
and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. What a wonderful, incredible picture of what we are called to be. Sons and daughters who, like Jesus, are in union with the Father. Jesus in us, and because Jesus is in us, by the Holy Spirit, the Father is in us, because he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and in this way that blows our minds, but we are brought into this union in God. We are caught up with him, and the evidence of that will be that we do the works that Jesus did, and even greater works than these, whoever believes in me. John 15, 26 and 27. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father... See this again? Jesus has to ascend into heaven to be with the Father so that he can pour out the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. And chapter 16, verses 7 to 11. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father and where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. You know what? Jesus was certainly capable of bringing about the end of all things after his resurrection. He was perfectly capable of not needing to send out his disciples. He was perfectly capable of bringing about the end of all things and having all things under his feet without you and I getting involved. But that was not the plan and purpose of God. The plan and purpose of God from the beginning was to have sons and daughters, was to have you and me in relationship with him. He could have done it all on his own, but he wanted us included. And he decided that it would bring glory to himself if he would redeem us and transform us and take us from being enemies in opposition to that kingdom to not only bowing the knee before him, but actually being instruments of announcing and extending that kingdom. So that those who were once enemies didn't just become neutral, but actually became positive agents of transformation extending the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth. Sons and daughters in relationship with their father, working, partnering, co-laboring in the family business. God's plan has always been to have heirs, those who would inherit the kingdom. Think about it for a moment. That means that the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, is your inheritance. It's yours by right. You have been born into this family. And because you have been born into God's family, not because of anything you did. It's the thing with inheritance, isn't it? It's not because of anything you did. It's just because of who you were born as. Because you were born into God's family, the kingdom of God is yours by rights. In Revelation chapter 5, John describes his vision of the ascended Lord Jesus, as a lamb of God in heaven. 
Let's read a little bit of how he described that scene in Revelation chapter 5. From verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. That's the declaration in heaven. This is what you have done. You've purchased people by your blood. Through your death and your resurrection, you've made it possible for them to come to you. And now they will reign on the earth. They will bring the rule and reign of God to the ends of the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Picture the scene. Everyone in heaven crowded around the throne, bowing down before this wonderful crucified, resurrected and ascended King Jesus who has entered into glory and everyone can't help but fall down on their faces before him and cast their crowns before him and and praise him and adore him and one of the things that they are praising him for and one of the things that they are lifting up his name and, and singing of all the wonders of what he has done is that you and I are reigning in the earth God made a way for us, for you, to be part of bringing his kingdom rule and reign to the earth. That you would not only receive his authority by bowing your knee before him, but that you would be part of bringing his loving authority to the world around you. I'm talking about you healing the sick. I'm talking about you healing the sick. Not being part of a church that believes in healing the sick, but longing with all your heart to be part of healing the sick. I'm talking about you standing up for truth and injustice. Not just being part of a church that has a program or a project, but you actually standing up for truth and injustice. I'm talking about you setting captives free. I'm talking about you loving the unloved. I'm talking about you proclaiming the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. I'm talking about you sharing the gospel. Telling people in your workplace or your university or your family or or your social setting, you telling them about Jesus and how he's king and what he's come to do and how he rescues us from sin and he brings us into his plan and purpose. I'm talking about you sharing that good news with confidence and authority, not scared and running away, but filled with the Holy Spirit. 
I'm talking about you showing people by your very life the reality of having passed from death to life. I'm talking about you showing people the difference that knowing Jesus makes in your life. About you showing people by the way you choose to live that Jesus really is your Lord. I'm talking about you living in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You see, John the Baptist came and his mission was to make everyone ready for Jesus. And do you remember, we looked at it in previous messages, what was, the, what was the message that he proclaimed? Repent, turn around, change the way you think, reorientate your life because the rule of God is at hand. Because God's rule is breaking into our world. And in preparing people to receive that message, he said two things about Jesus. Some of you have heard this before, but it's of such fundamental importance. John chapter 1, 29 to 34. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, none of this would be possible if Jesus hadn't taken away our sin. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I've seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. That seems fairly significant to me, does it not to you? This is how I recognized him, because the anointing came upon him. And now I know that he is the chosen one who will baptize all of you in the Holy Spirit. Jesus came to this earth, lived, died, and ascended into heaven so that you could be forgiven for all your sin and so that you could receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is not some additional extra, some optional doctrine for all the wacky and slightly crazy Christians. You know the ones who sway when we're worshipping? Baptism in the Holy Spirit is not for the extroverts. Baptism in the Holy Spirit must not be reduced to just tongues. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is about the anointing of God coming upon all of his people to enable us to live the life that he created us to live. This is the identity of Jesus that John the Baptist proclaims. And you'll find it, by the way, in all four gospel accounts. This is the one who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. This is who Jesus is, the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit first came upon those first disciples at Pentecost, 
Everyone was speaking in tongues and people were hearing them in their own language and there was confusion and some people thought they were drunk and so Peter gave this amazing explanation, taking them all the way through the scriptures, explaining what God was doing and how this was actually what God had always promised, to pour out his anointing on all people. And so we'll pick it up at verse 29 where he says, Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. And seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. That he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead and nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it. Exalted, ascended exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. For everyone that God calls to himself. In accordance with the promises of the Old Testament, God's desire is that the anointing of himself. The picture of anointing, it came from the pouring out of oil. But this is not an anointing with oil. This is an anointing with God himself. He pours himself out over every single one. That's his desire, to pour himself out over every single one of his followers. Because the promise of scripture was that everyone would receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had triumphed over his enemies. He made a public spectacle of them. I love that scripture. He made a public spectacle of them. At the cross, he showed them up for what they are in comparison to him, totally powerless. He had defeated the power of death. He'd beaten hell and the grave. He defeated all the powers of darkness by rising triumphantly from the dead. And then Jesus the resurrected king triumphantly ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of majesty itself. And he was glorified. He was glorified. Everyone bowed down before him and proclaimed him as he truly is, king of kings and lord of lords. He ascended And he was seated on the same throne as God the Father. And he received 
from God the Father. What God's intention had always been, the Holy Spirit anointing to be poured out on all those who would give their lives to him. Hebrews 1 verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And it's from that place, at the right hand of the Father, from his royal throne, that our mighty King Jesus pours out his Holy Spirit on us. He pours out the person of God himself on us. He fills us with himself to overflowing. He seals us with that anointing. Scripture teaches us that he seals us. That is, he marks us out as his. He leads us, we're told, into truth. He confirms our identity as his children and his heirs. He establishes and confirms your authority. He empowers you supernaturally. He clothes you with power as he clothes you with himself. Just imagine that, putting on God. He clothes you with himself. We are supposed to do the works that Jesus did. We are actually, you are actually supposed to do the works that Jesus did. Sends you in the same way that he was sent by the Father. That's why we have to live in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We have to live in the anointing of the Spirit. We must have that anointing upon our lives. So baptism in the Holy Spirit usually begins with tongues. That's what happened in the scripture, not only in that first instance that we've read about, but in all the other instances. In fact, there's one occasion where it doesn't tell us what happened, but it tells us that something very observable happened because Simon the sorcerer was there and he said, wow, that's amazing, I want to have that gift. So he could see that the Holy Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on them. He just doesn't say what it was. But in every other occasion, we're told what it was and they began to speak in tongues. Tongues is not the purpose. It's not the be-all and end-all. We get sidetracked if we make it all about tongues. And then it does just become an optional doctrine in the church. We believe in tongues. We believe it's an amazing blessing from God to be distinguished from the gift of tongues that's brought to a whole meeting. But that, that initial gift of tongues that helps us to strengthen ourselves, to edify ourselves, to become strong in the Spirit. It's, it seems that it always happens when people get baptized in the Spirit. So yes, we want to pray for anyone who's not speaking in tongues. We want to pray for you. We want to believe God with you because it's a gift we believe he wants you to have. We're not going to argue with you whether you have to have it. We'll just change the question to why wouldn't you want to have something that God says he wants everyone to have. But don't think it's all about that. It's a great sign, it's a great evidence, but it's not all about that. This is you living life in the power and the authority of who you are as an heir of the kingdom of God. This is about you having royal authority in your everyday life. This is about you having supernatural power available to you because you are submerged in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. 
We cannot live the life that our Lord and King calls us to. Remember we've said he's our Lord and our King. We can't live the life that he asks us to live without the anointing of his Spirit. You see, the coming of God's kingdom is all about heaven on earth. When we read in Revelation about the new Jerusalem, which is a picture of the church, it says it's coming down out of heaven from God. It's not the church building something and trying to attain to something heavenly. So building with human wisdom and human things and trying to... That's what happened in Genesis chapter 11 with the Tower of Babel. They tried to build themselves up to heaven. No, God's way is that we should receive something from heaven down to the earth. And so we must open ourselves wholeheartedly and say everything, Lord Jesus, that you have ascended into heaven to pour out into our lives, we want to receive that. We want to receive everything that you've got for us. The fact that Jesus ascended into heaven was so that he could receive something from the Father that he knew that you needed so that you could be part of bringing his kingdom to the ends of the earth. So that you could be involved in that kingdom coming. Because he said it's not for you to know the day or the hour when the end will finally come. But in the meantime, you need the power of God. You need the supernatural anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life. He didn't say you just need to go to church on Sundays and all will be well. He said I want you to be filled with the anointing of the Holy Spirit so that you can bring the kingdom. So that you can represent me. So that you can heal the sick. So that you can announce the gospel. So that you can stand up for justice. So that you can love the unloved. So that people will see that I am in you and you are in me. And so we're told to go on being filled. Again and again and again. Go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you've never experienced baptism in the Holy Spirit, now is the time. And if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, now is the time to go on being filled. And there's one more thing I want to highlight to us this morning. The fact that Jesus ascended into heaven not only means that he is there always ready to pour out more into our lives, but it also means that he is there right now interceding for you and me. Look at Romans chapter 8. It's an incredible truth. Romans 8, 31 to 39. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written... For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
What difference will it make to your life and mine when we live knowing that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ? And he who loves me so unconditionally is sat at the right hand of God in heaven, surrounded with glory and majesty, and he can be bothered to pray for me. He can be bothered to pray for you. He is interceding for us. Hebrews chapter 7. 23 to 28. Now there have been many of those priests, talking about the priests of the old covenant, since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He is able to save you completely. Sometimes you might wonder if you can hold on till the end. Sometimes you might wonder if it might just become all too much for you. Sometimes you might feel like you are holding on by your fingernails. Sometimes you might be racked with doubt or confusion. Sometimes you might wonder why it's taken you so long to break through in those things of power that everyone talks about. You've tried it. You've been there before. I'm not sure if I can be this. I'm not sure if I'm cut out for this. He is able to save you completely. He is able to make you to overcome. He is able to bring you through in glory and triumph. And you may go through times where it's hard, where you're struggling, where you're suffering, when all around you seems dark, but he is in heaven interceding for you. He has got your back. He is praying for you. He is willing you to succeed. He's speaking with authority to the Father and he will cause you to overcome. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See him there. When it's tough, when it's difficult, when you're tempted, see him there. The ascended King Jesus, seated in glory and majesty who cares about you, whose love will never fail you, who is forever interceding for you, who is able to make you an overcomer, to make you victorious. Revelation 3.21 says, To the one who is victorious, he is able to save you completely. He is able to cause you to overcome. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Picture the scene. Jesus sat at the right hand of God on the throne, sharing the throne. And Jesus says, budge up a little bit, father. We've got someone else coming to sit on the throne with us. That's your destiny. Jesus, our ascended king, has entered into heaven and made it possible for you and me to receive the things of heaven. He clothes us with heaven as he clothes us with himself. 
He makes us a supernatural people, true heirs of his kingdom. He enables us to rule and reign with him. And Jesus, our ascended king, is ever interceding for us. He's with us by his spirit, but more than that, he's also gone ahead of us. And he makes a way for us, and he causes us to triumph. He's our king of kings and our lord of lords. He is our ascended king. Just to invite us to stand together in the presence of God, I'd like the worship team just to come. We began this morning by singing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and change the atmosphere. But we don't just want the Holy Spirit to change the atmosphere for a moment so that we can enjoy a time of worship. But we want the Holy Spirit, who Jesus pours out from heaven, to come and fill us again. And right now, where you are, we have a prayer team, and so afterwards, if you need someone to stand with you, that's fine, and we can pray with you. But even right now, where you are, there are plenty of examples in Scripture of people receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit without anyone laying their hands on them. And so, we believe in that as well, but right now, where you are, if that's you, you can call out to God. Just as we sing this last song together, you can call out to God and say, Jesus, baptize me in the Holy Spirit. You know what hungry looks like? Hungry looks like you're desperate for it all the time. Hungry doesn't look like when they make an appeal in church, you come forward, it didn't happen, so you wait six months till the next appeal. Hungry looks like you pray and you ask God every single day until it happens. Crying out to God, more of you. And for all of us, whether we've received that, that, that primary evidence of tongues or, or not, it, it's all of us saying, we want more of you, Lord. We want more of what you pour out from heaven. And let's thank him that he is ever interceding for us, that he is going to cause us to succeed. But let's embrace and acknowledge that there is more for us to do. We are not called to live an ordinary life and go to church at weekends, but we are called to make a difference in this world, that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so let's just turn our attention to him, the ascended King Jesus, and say, pour out more, Pour out more into my life right now. Why don't you just begin to pray? Even before a song starts, just lift your voice. Say, God, I want more. Prophetic word came earlier. Are you ready? Are you ready if I even call you to walk a walk or run a race that you do not want to run? Are you ready? Are you ready to receive all that I want? Because I'm excited. That's what God said to us. I'm excited and I want to pour out more. Are you ready to receive more in this moment?